And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on the Monday after one of the more epic, nutty, bananas, game 82s in the history of the NBA. The play-in tournament begins tomorrow, Tuesday, with the Lakers against the Timberwolves and the Hawks against the Heat. The playoffs are right around the corner, and holy smokes... Do we have a lot to talk about, Howard Beck? We could do, we could just do, I don't know, four hours on ranking the hundred most disappointing things that ever happened to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Do you want to just do that, Howard Beck? How are you, sir? You did not utter the three most anticipated words. You're your because I'm so distracted are, yeah, by Rudy Gobert punching Kyle Anderson I'm, on the bench, getting suspended. This has <laughs> happened right before we were recording. He's suspended. For one game, which just happens to be a play-in game. And by the way, I'm I'm queuing up film last night of like, let me watch some Lakers-Wolves regular season stuff to get a feel. Let me get get my memory, you know, jostled about how this matchup works. Okay, first play, LeBron AD, pick and roll. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Jaden McDaniels is guarding LeBron and Rudy Gobert is guarding Anthony (laughs) Davis. And they both punched people and or things. And they're both going to be out in this game. And it's a freaking disaster. And... It's embarrassing for Rudy Gobert. It's embarrassing for the Wolves, who just I it just I just continue to not understand what in the hell they were doing with this trade. I said on TV right after it happened, I sit here in disbelief at everything they just gave up for Rudy Gobert, not knowing that Walker Kessler was gonna be a surefire first team all rookie. He should be on pretty much every rookie of the year ballot. He is on mine. He came third. On my rookie of the year ballot, we'll do awards later. And it's just like, I, I just, I'm just a guy. And, and yet they won the game. They won the game. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, who the, the, the Pelicans who lost that game have to be sitting here thinking, we have a matchup at home against the Thunder. We're going to be favored in that matchup. We'll talk about that game later. And, and if we win that and the Wolves lose to the Lakers, like we got to be feeling pretty good about life. What a mess. Uh, an absolute mess. Um, so I, 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 it did hit me yesterday. Nas um, Reed is injured. I'm sorry for. I have to mention Nas yes. Reed. If they don't even have a backup center. Uh, I, I believe Kyle Anderson is the backup center. Luca Garza uh, or Nathan Knight or Super <laughs> Small or Cat plays all 48. And knowing Cat, he'll commit four fouls in the first ten minutes of the game. <laughs> All I could think, Zach, as this was all unfolding last night, and knowing you and I were going to get together today, and great to see you, happy to be here again, is that uh, you and I potted a few months ago, and when I was suggesting that the Lakers should be all in on this season and trade whatever they had to trade to reformat their roster, to give themselves some sort of chance, and you went on a five-minute rant about puncher's chance, and I all of a sudden realized you saw the future. You meant puncher's chance meant the Wolves punching each other and punching walls, because the Lakers now have more than a puncher's chance because of all the Wolves punching to actually be the seventh seed and then go into a first-round matchup against the Grizzlies, who, frankly, I think the Lakers could beat, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves on that. We'll talk about that another day. Go. I just want you to reevaluate the whole puncher's chance thing in light of all of this. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Hey, Uh, look, (laughs) the Lakers have a chance to win the West. The Warriors have a chance to win the West. The Suns are my pick to win the West. The Clippers were my pick to win the West at the beginning of the season. They play the Suns. That doesn't seem great. We'll talk about that. The Nuggets can win the West. The Grizzlies can win the West. The Kings can win the West. Everybody can win the West. Is it is it possible the Mavericks might still be able to win the West? <laughs> the Mavericks and the Wolves should have to play each other today 
in a sad bowl. The humiliation bowl. Just sadness. Just the winner gets to be gets the Brown participation trophy for existing in the season. Uh, they should actually be forced to wear Brown uniforms, like Brown and Tan next season as penance for everything they've brought upon themselves and upon the NBA uh, this season. Um, no, listen, uh, this is, I, I want to make this quick point before we get into this. I, you do this as well. We, we, we have all these conversations with people around the league and you get a feel for things. And sometimes things surprise us, right? The last several weeks, I've been just asking random people when I'm bumping into them at games or talking on the phone, whatever, open-ended question, who's coming out of the West? And I get always these like long, awkward pauses. And then because the gears are turning and then I'll say, you know, I they'll say it's, it's, it's probably, you know, it's probably the Suns. I know Durant hasn't played much with them and they have injuries, blah, 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 but it's probably the Suns. Or occasionally it's, you know what? I really think the Warriors, once they get Wiggins back uh, and, and and they've got Peyton now, like it's going to be the worst. And then sometimes they say, you know what? If Paul George comes back in time, it's the Clippers. You know who nobody says? The top three teams in the Western Conference. Like I have yet to find somebody around the I NBA just, who I says. I just did. You just did. I, there are very few people who actually say, if I ask just who's coming out of the West, where their definitive answer is Denver, Memphis, Sacramento. I don't recall a time in my entire career covering this league where the top three teams in either of the conferences were not really considered the strongest uh, favorites to come out of their conference. And instead it's a Warriors team that has had a bizarre season, but we still have the outline of a championship team there and they're getting guys back at the right time. And a Lakers team that like, it's, it's nobody is what they seem in a way. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Clippers ending up having to, to deal with the Suns at some point, but like, everybody in the lower part of the bracket, almost everybody feels viable. We don't know who the seven and eight seeds are yet, of course, but it, it, it's a very strange thing, Zach. Like we don't usually have this. And this is in a league where things always go to form. Ones and twos do not lose in this, in this league. Very, very rarely. Even sixes upsetting threes is pretty rare. And yet this is a year where, look, I'm not predicting it, but if you and I are talking again in a few weeks, and some combination of the top three seeds in the West didn't get past the first round. We're not going to be shocked. It, it, it I, I like at least one of them could go down in the first round. In fact, I'll be surprised if one of them doesn't go down in the first round. I'm going to make my first round picks later this week with David Thorpe, our annual eight by eight, which is now six by six because of the play in. Cause we just won't know the matchups yeah. um, in time. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't want to go quite quite there yet. Uh, I, I want to stick with Minnesota, which is, it's just, I mean, look, they could make the playoffs. They could make a little bit of noise in the playoffs, but it just feels very rickety there right now. The Gobert suspension, um, we, we got wind that that was what they were looking at last night. Um, I've had some pushback from people who think that's a little too aggressive given the stakes. They obviously disagree, and the team played well without him last night. Um, I think it really hurts them against the Lakers. We can talk about that matchup in a second, but it's just, I just, you know, we'll see what they do this summer. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see. It, it just, it, it was a it was a trade that I was talking to people around the trade before it happened. When it when it got out that they were thinking about it, and I remember saying, 
are they sure they want to do this? And at that point, I was like, they might trade two first-round picks and a swap and something for Rudy Gobert. This is, like, unimaginable what they have given up for Rudy Gobert. And the blame is always going to go to the owners because that's what happens. Like, oh, new owner syndrome, A-Rod and Laurie. Tim Connolly has to wear this, too. Tim Connolly, who knows more about basketball than I ever will, who built a fantastic team in Denver, who has a great track record that goes um, well before Denver, Washington, New Orleans, all of it. Um he has to wear this too because part of the job of being the president of basketball operations is to tell the owners no. If that's even what happened here, we don't know. I mean, yeah. it's just I can feel this becoming one of those things that is going to be laid at the feet of ownership and ownership only. And it's just it was a disaster when it happened, and it's an even worse disaster now. And there's just absolutely no way to sugarcoat it. They're going to try to extricate themselves from this some somehow, some way, assuming they don't go on a run here. All fair, and all that said, Zach. When when anybody was critical of the the trade at the time it happened, I felt like it had more to do with first the Gobert Carl Anthony Towns fit number one number two how much that? that's it just no, no, that I don't know I'm, no I'm I'm getting there the first the first part was this does this even make the meal sense? was the meal was good except for the food everything else about the meal was great line one of of the critique was is this the right move is this the right pairing line two was oh and by the way they gave up probably way too much. Uh, but we never thought at that time, no matter how critical anybody was fairly, that the reason it would actually backfire. And now listen, it's obviously been a rough ride the whole season, but that the thing we would be remembering most going into the off season, which should be coming very soon, I suspect for them, that the thing we'll remember most is not Gobert's awkward fit with Carl Anthony Towns. It's going to be that he punched Kyle Anderson in the chest in the middle of a really important game on the last day of the season and then jeopardized, if not sunk, their ability to actually get out of the plane and make the playoffs. So I'm just saying in the grand scope of things, there was plenty to criticize from the start or plenty to question from the start about the rationale behind the deal and the scope of the deal. And now we're talking about it through a lens that we could not have anticipated. And I'm not saying, you know, that the we, we knew that Rudy Gobert had some personality issues, right? We knew that people in Utah, there were there were chemistry issues throughout the last several years. How much of that was due to Rudy versus Donovan versus anybody else? Like, uh, you know, you can try to parse all of that out. But I, I think what this is showing definitively, vividly yesterday on, on national TV is Rudy Gobert has has some <laughs> some things that he needs to work out if he wants to be a, a really important teammate for uh, for more years in this league. And the Timberwolves now have to regret every part of this deal, including what it's done to to their chemistry and including what it's done to their potential postseason. I, I just it's it's I have I cannot recall a more ill-timed outburst. I'm sure there have been some. I can think of Amari Stoudemire uh, bloodying his hand and eating stitches for punching a, a fire extinguisher on his way out of a, a loss in Miami one year. Um but the 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 literal one-two punch of Rudy Gobert and Jaden McDaniels on in the middle of game 82, possibly sinking their play-in hopes against a, a Laker team that is much better than their record suggests. Um, I I just I don't know where you even begin if you're the Timberwolves. And I do want to say this real quick because I was listening to uh, NBA Radio this morning and, and Brian Scalabrini. Obviously, Scal knows this game and the ins and outs of team dynamics better than than you and I do. He's he's lived it. But Scal was saying 
because of the importance of it, he sh- he thought there should be no suspension. This is hours before the suspension was announced. I had I had um, agents agents and others tell me the same thing. And and I and I will just say this, like, and I, I respect where Scal is coming from, and I get it. And as a pragmatic matter, I I totally get it. Right, like the the thing is to win. Period. Do what you got to do. But if you're if you as an organization you're going to have any kind of values and principles, and we talk about culture all the time, if you're going to stand on that stuff, then you have to stand on it regardless of what the consequences are. And in the, for Tim Connolly and that ownership group, I admire the fact that they're willing to do what I would say is the right thing. If it's the right thing to suspend him, if it were game 43, and they, and we, they almost certainly would, then you can't abandon your principles and your standards out of some craven attempt to win a play-in game just so you can be cannon fodder in the first round anyway. Uh, let's talk about that game because the Lakers are the other big winner here. Their play-in game now all of a sudden looks a whole lot different. Um, not that not that Gobert and McDaniels are all-stars this year. Neither of them was, but they're very good players, and it changes the defense totally of the game. I mean, Jay McDaniels is the one who guards LeBron, and when LeBron sits, Jaden McDaniels guards D'Angelo Russell. That's how they matched up. They just played a couple weeks ago. The Lakers won in Minnesota. And assuming, I, I would assume that the Wolves start some variety of a smaller lineup with, with Rudy out. And it, my guess would be Conley, Anthony Edwards, Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson, Carl Towns. And what that does is it gives you the flexibility to put Anthony Davis on Cat and Jared Vanderbilt on Anthony Edwards, which are their two favorite matchups that they like. They've put Reeves on Anthony Edwards a lot. But they can put more size on him now because there's only one big guy that Anthony Davis has to guard. You don't have to put Jared Vanderbilt on Cat or worry about, you know, who's guarding Rudy or whatever on the offensive glass. You can also get funky and put Anthony Davis on Kyle Anderson and let him roam and put Vanderbilt on Cat and put Reeves on Ant because they trust Reeves to to do that matchup, to, to, to hold his own against Ant. It just gives the Lakers more defensive weapons for an already very good defensive team. And Minnesota now plays, you know, five out with Cat, and the Lakers are going to be switching a lot of, at least some of the Ant-Cat actions, given some of the personnel I just described. If it's Vanderbilt on Ant and AD on Cat, they can switch that here and there a little bit. LeBron will be around, hanging around, Kyle Anderson lurking around. It's just It just puts a lot of pressure on someone like Mike Conley, who is going to have a small guy on him all the time, and will have to run more pick and roll with whether it's Ant or Cat to try and get mismatches, hunt D'Angelo Russell a little bit. It just it just removes so much of the of the size and versatility of Minnesota and just gives them fewer I mean we talked about Nasrid already. They just they just have fewer cards to play. And these single game matchups are about who can guard who, who can find a weakness, who can exploit it, and they just have more exploitable weaknesses now and less weapons. They do have Anthony Edwards and Carl Towns though, so you got you got a shot. No, look, they still have a hell of a lot of offense out there and 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 just shot creation. And I, I I don't think that the Lakers are going to roll them by any stretch. And look, back to the point of of the Rudy Gobert trade critique in the first place, it was always a bit of an awkward fit. And they didn't even get a ton because Carl Anthony Towns missed so much time this season, they never really got enough time for those two to kind of figure out if there was a way to figure out their their partnership anyway. In some ways, maybe this simplifies things for them. I'm not saying it's a good thing to lose Gobert, and certainly not a good thing to lose Gobert and McDaniel's together. Um, it's putting them at quite a deficit, and uh, you know this is just when the Lakers are, have really started, I think, to figure things, some things out and, and get on a roll. So it's going to hurt them. But th- 
I do wonder in the alternate scenario where Gobert is playing and they're still trying to figure things out um, while going up against, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis in tandem, um, whether they would have had an uphill battle regardless. At a certain point, you just need the bodies and especially defensive bodies. Um, and so they've, yeah, they've certainly made the Lakers uh, lives a lot easier. I'll be stunned if the Lakers don't win that game. Um, I think the, the Lakers will be stunned if they don't win that game. Uh, but yeah, and it's, you know, I, 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 I feel for the Timberwolves fan base and for that franchise on some level, like I, 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 I'll, I'll, I gave this, um, I, I made this point somewhere last summer when, when the trade happened as uh, this is, might've been my overzealousness to, to, to play devil's advocate in the wake of, of all of the backlash they were getting that the one thing I could say for it is that I, I admired the ambition, right? I admired the swing for the fences. Is it, was it too big of a swing? Did they send out too many picks? Did they send out too many players? Was it the right gamble? Arguably not, but I admired the ambition there. And also it's, it's reductive to say, well, we're a team with some great offensive weapons and we just need somebody to turn us into a top 10 defense. And Rudy Gobert is a walking top 10 defense. That's what we always said. And he was in Utah. Like I get, it, I get it in the abstract. I got it in the abstract. I understood it. But what a what a terrible way for this to to all go down. And and if they're out, as as we or as I suspect, I, I I assume you do too. Um, but we'll see. After we'll playing, see. well, actually, they get it. They get a second chance, right? If they lose to the Lakers, they get a second chance to beat uh, the winner of 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 Pelicans Thunder, and uh, and they host that game. So and Gobert will be back for that game, but Jaden McDaniel's uh, sadly will not. And slow-mo will slow-mo the agitator. Uh, well, I wouldn't say he was an agitator, but he called Rudy some names, and that's what Kyle Anderson does. He's in your face. He tell you, he'll tell you like it is, right to your face. It's uh, You know what's really fascinating about that? Within the last couple of days, there were actually, and some people put some quotes out, and I apologize for not remembering who had put them out, but it was you know, Rudy Gobert complimenting within the last couple of days for a story that I, mean, I can't remember if it came out yet because somebody just tweeted the quote like, hey, I was working on this story. Rudy Gobert complimenting how Kyle Anderson is this very direct, blunt voice and and leader for them. And Kyle Anderson has taken on this really important role. And, you know, look, there's always a fine line between teammates, between friends, for that matter, when you're calling somebody out, the line that you can't cross and you're not sure where it might be. And maybe just a matter of timing. Maybe Rudy Gobert is just in a, in, a, in a bad way at that moment. But a team that, you know, has, has said otherwise, we really appreciate Kyle Anderson's candor and his bluntness and his uh, his leadership. And in that moment, he, you know, he crossed a line, perhaps, and it backfired. Um, it, it's well, and Rudy was playing with back spasms or through back spasms yeah. last night, yeah. which is, to, you know, I, I I don't know how serious they were, but they were they were there. So I'm sure he took extra offense at having you know his his toughness questioned or whatever you want to you want to say what what Kyle said and Kyle will step in now and probably guard LeBron right from the jump and he's he's capable of that. Cat that probably means Cat has to guard Anthony Davis instead of hiding out on Vanderbilt somewhere because they just don't have enough big guys. Like you can't put Torian Prince on Anthony Davis. I don't think you could put Kyle Anderson on Anthony Davis and put Torian Prince on. LeBron, that seems bad too. If Torian Prince even starts, you just the, the trickle down starts to get a little a little troubling. And the Lakers at home should win. Their starters have been totally dominant. The wild card for the Lakers to me is always Vanderbilt. And, and like when the spacing gets a little tight, 
do they have enough answers off the bench? They just need one or two guys off the bench to come in and make shots. And if it's Hachimura, that's great. That means you can stay bigger and have Hachimura guard some of these bigger wings that LeBron maybe doesn't want to guard. If it's small, then you have Schroeder or you have Beasley, who kind of is a wild card for them. Um, And it's just, you know, it's LeBron at home with one game to beat one team that doesn't give you a whole lot of reasons to have faith in its sort of um, late-game composure, and it's a team that fouls the bejesus out of everybody and does not get a lot of free throws, and as has been well-documented, the Lakers are dominating the free-throw game, so it's like they're coming up to this game ahead 10-0 at home from opening tip. Um, So the one thing that Gobert being out of the lineup does for the Wolves is their transition defense is just so bad when they have both the big guys on the floor, which is typical of very big teams. They're just too slow to pivot from one side to the other. So they at least – you can't let the Lakers and LeBron get too many freight train buckets or you're just going to lose. Um, but boy, oh boy. It's just what, – what can you say? What else can you say? Um, let's move on to topic number two on my ledger for today. The Clippers, my preseason pick – to make the finals, and I will continue to beat myself with a cudgel over that one because it does not look like it's going to come through with Paul George's availability for this series against the Phoenix Suns up in the air. And boy, oh boy, will they miss Paul George in a series where they have to guard Chris Paul and more pointedly Devin Booker and more pointedly than that, Kevin Durant. And um, the Suns have still not lost with Kevin Durant on the floor. Not None of the wins have been like super-duper convincing, but their big four – is plus a lot in not very many minutes and looks totally dominant. And Kawhi Leonard, I don't know if you know this, Howard, even Kawhi Leonard can only guard one person at a time. Now, you can kind of guard like one and a half people at a time when he goes into full-on shark mode and he's just snatching the ball out of the air. But And if he and if it's Durant, if he's got to guard Durant, and I would suspect they'll try Batum and just see if Batum can survive. But if he's got to guard Durant, that's just a lot to do, man. And we saw him do it against Luka for a couple of games. The last time the Clippers tried to finagle with seeding in the playoffs a couple of years ago. But that I don't want to talk about that series yet because I'm still doing my work on that. There was a whole kerfuffle yesterday on NBA Twitter. And this was one of the rare days I was I was paying attention to NBA Twitter. Because it's like I don't really I, – I had a bunch of games going in the background. I don't have to dig too deep into the X's and O's of these games. It's just the results that matter. So let's have some fun about whether the Clippers should have tanked their game on purpose against Phoenix in hopes of finishing below the Warriors and landing in sixth, which would have depended on the outcome of the Timberwolves-New Orleans game. Had New Orleans won that game and the Clippers lost and the Warriors lost, the Clippers would have dropped into seventh in the play-in tournament and played, I don't know who, I'm, my brain is broken right now, and and been in the play and now they won. And the games were going on at exactly the same time. There was even suggestions that that Ty Lue should have come up with a Jason Kidd-esque plan to spill something on the floor, delay the game, maybe pay a pay. Uh, well, I guess if the game was in Phoenix, what was I going to say? Chuck the Condor, the stupidest mascot in the NBA, could come out and cause a scene uh, on the floor to just so they could get the outcome of the other game known. And it did raise this question that I talked about with Kevin Pelton last week about should they have just. Should they have just, knowing that there was some chance Minnesota would win, which they did, and knowing that either way your your win outcome is facing this Phoenix team, 
Should they have just said, you know what, we'll lose and we'll pay the price. We'll pay the if the price is seven, we'll pay the price. They obviously chose not to. I said on Friday with Pelton, they will not do that. No team is going to risk the play-in, let alone a team that lost twice in the play-in last year. Um, but, you know, Bob Volgaris, who's a very smart guy, kind of made the mathematical argument. Other people have made this argument, too, that if you just sort of assign X probability to beating Phoenix in the first round and then X probability versus, you know, X probability of winning the play-in versus X probability of winning blah, blah, blah. Like, the math is kind of even-ish in theory. What did, what did you think? I think people are overthinking it. Um I want to make this quick point, by the way, on on this on this subject, because it, it also pulls in the Mavericks situation, which I know you're going to talk about with Ben McMahon later in the pod. In it, in it, in it, I, I love that we got the play in. I think the play in has done a whole lot to make the last part of the regular season much livelier, more engaging. The stakes are great. I mean, listen, we had there was things at stake. We had a bunch of you know dud games yesterday with basically like you know a combination of G League rosters and like they look like preseason games. But we also had a bunch of games with stakes right down to the last game that was played, and that happens in large part because of the play-in. But what the play-in has done to kind of of warp our sensibilities in a way is that in a in a world where it's still the one through eight. The Clippers could have just done that, right? The Clippers could have said, "Screw it. We'd we'll, we'd rather if we lose and we end up seventh instead of sixth. That's fine, but better than being fifth and having to deal with the Suns. And you're still assured of a play a playoff spot. In the Mavericks' case, the awkwardness and, and humiliation and everything else that they did and said that has gotten them in hot water and now has gotten an investigation. Happy Slovenia night. <laughs> Hope you didn't pay too much for your plane tickets across the Atlantic Ocean. Oh my. Um, but in a, in a, in a world where it's still just the one through eight, the Mavericks would have already been dead in the water and, and they could have just let go of the rope weeks ago. And so it's just interesting to, to remember that not so long ago we had just a one through eight and it would have simplified some of these decisions. And in that case, if the Clippers want to tempt fate, tempt the basketball gods, whoever, by messing around on the last day and, and, and losing a game that they could have won because they'd rather avoid a matchup in the four or five slot, fine. But in this case, Zach, all respect to Bob Volgaris and others who who were arguing this point, like, I don't think you mess around. Like, the play-in is at most two games. And, you know, God forbid, Kawhi I, I gets in think, foul trouble. I do think that's key in Bob and others' argument is that the Clippers would not have fallen into the single elimination part of the play-in. They would right. have had two chances Double. to win, yes. which is a massive, massive yes. difference. It is a massive difference, but it's still the case where – one bad game. You win, you know, you win the first one, fine, you're in. You lose the first one because something went wrong. And now you are win or go home in the second one. I just I, I I you're taking an awful risk. I'd rather just assure myself of being in the playoffs, having the whole week off, by the way, or at least not having games to play, and being that much fresher, especially for a team that's a veteran team that is always banged up and where your two stars are always hurt and they're still waiting on Paul George. Like don't don't add extra games that you don't have to play if you can avoid it. So I thought they did the right thing. And the idea that Ty Lue was supposed to be scoreboard watching, what's he going to do? Yank all his guys off the court in a hurry at the last second and go, no, 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 wait, wait, we want to lose. We want to lose. Uh, how would that have looked in the wake of the NBA just announcing an investigation of the Mavericks for losing intentionally? You're winning hey, a game with five minutes left. You yank everybody. That's part of the deal. Remember two years ago, I've told this story on this podcast before. 
someone within the Clippers was telling me about how they had kind of finagled their way to play the Mavs and I think what was the 4-5 or five series that year. And, and and this person said, yeah, we think this is like a five-game series for us. And I said, oh, boy, that, that dude over there in Dallas, yeah, I know. I know he likes to have a good time off the court. Maybe he's not in the best shape. Maybe he wants to the refs all the time, despite what Mark Cuban might tell you in very profane terms. <laughs> that dude's a killer. You don't want any part yeah. of him. And he almost took him out. Um, look, again, it would have been double elimination for the Clippers, not single elimination, right? Still, it's just two games. Like, you lose two games. They just they lived this last year. Now, Paul George, you know, missed, missed uh, the last game with COVID, or I, I believe it was COVID. Uh, I, I should probably check that, but I believe so. Um, and there is some irony in some, not too much, but some, because, again, I understand it would have been double elimination, but in suggesting that a team that is trying its damnedest all-out urgency to beat Saban Lee and Darius Baisley and damn near can't do it, suggesting that that team about to perhaps lose a single one anything can happen game to Saban Lee and Darius Baisley and Terrence Ross tank its way into more single-ish elimination circumstances. There's a little bit of irony to that. So I understand why the Clippers did what they did. They do now land in what is a very tough matchup for them and for anybody else and a matchup that just screams Paul George, Paul George, Paul George, like pretty much any matchup would, but particularly when you're trying to slow down those dudes. But I just don't know, short of getting lucky and having the NBA tip you two hours earlier, which is not going to happen for a West-West-West-West game, two West games are going to tip at the same time at the end. I just don't know what you're supposed to do, especially when you're not at home and you can't have Chuck the Condor run out or Steve Ballmer perform some sort of dance routine between quarters. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Where was it? Was it was it Phoenix? Where was it over the last two? Everything's such a freaking blur. Uh, somebody had like a speaker hanging by a by a thread or something, didn't they? And I just I just had to like pause the game to uh, take care of something that was falling off of a scoreboard. Dude, every time I go to a game, there is a moment pregame where I'm sitting talking to a scout or some something and I look up at the Jumbotron and the thought crosses my mind like. Man, I hope that thing doesn't fall. <laughs> it's, just, it's just hanging there. It does. It seems so precarious. Um, it, really, it really does. I, I would. I would make this point too, though. Um, and like, I, I get it, especially if you're the Clippers, right? You brought together Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. You you sent out Shea Gilgis Alexander and a bazillion picks, and you 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 made this amazing two part move four years ago now. And you haven't had anything to show for it. And everybody's talking about it's all going to have been a failure. It's all going to have, have been for naught. And so the last thing you want is to run into Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, Chris Paul in the first round and possibly be a first round and out. I would just say in general, if you don't, I know you want to buy your, and you also want to buy yourself time to get Paul George back. But whether you lose in the first round, the second round, if you made the conference finals, whatever, if you eventually have to deal with this team and you can't beat them, then you can't beat them. And your playoff run is a failure anyway. I know the optics are bad when you lose in the first round, especially when you have invested so heavily in two stars that were supposed to make you title contenders. I get all that. But there's a certain part of this, too, where, again, if you're weighing this whole, like, we're taking a chance, we may have to go through the play and da 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 da, da you got to play who you got to play, right? Like eventually you got to beat good teams to advance in the playoffs. So you either have confidence you can do it or you don't. And I, I th 
Yesterday, yesterday was alarming, by the way, though. That it took that much effort for them to put away the the third-string Suns was a bad thing. Hey, it happens. It's one game. It happens. And credit Russell Westbrook, too. Russell Westbrook and Kawhi carried him over the finish line. Russ with hustle play after hustle play. I was wrong about his impact on the Clippers, at least so far. Um, and and they pulled it out, and that happens. Um, there's also this school of thought that you hear. You know, Bill Simmons has been big on this. Like, I think it was Bill Simmons. Miss, apologies if not. But how I, the idea that I'd rather play the Suns sooner rather than later while Durant is still figuring out his fit with the team and before they get a groove. I buy that. I, I, I get that, and you hear that every once in a while. And, yes, it is unprecedented. Like, like it's, it's borderline unprecedented for a team to make a trade of that magnitude and win the title. So there is obviously, even with Durant, there will be some fit-in, stylistic hiccups, whatever. I don't expect them to be big, but there, it, it, history suggests there will be. I'm still always of the school of thought, like, I'd rather put it off as long as possible. I'd rather, if I can finagle the brackets so that I can avoid the team that I really want to avoid, it just gives more time for bad stuff to happen to their team. And maybe bad stuff will happen to my team in the interim, like my, my best player will sprain an ankle, whatever. I, I'm always, it, there's no right answer, but I'm always, I always would always prefer, like, let's kick that can down the road and just, like, maybe we catch lightning in a bottle, maybe someone punches someone on the sidelines on their team or punches the wall or punches a fire extinguisher or punches a Gatorade cooler or whatever. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. We're going to preview... Um... Thunder Pelicans, which should not be forgotten. But before we do that, I want to take a detour into awards ballots. It is 3.37 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Monday, April 10th. My parents' anniversary. Happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. I love you. Happy um, anniversary. And uh, and uh, ballots are due in two hours and 22 minutes. Mine is in. It is in. I have washed my hands of it. I don't want to see it again. I've already forgotten parts of it. But it is in. It is filed. Is your ballot in, Beck? My Mark ballot Bruce, is the, not the, in. the PR people are going to yell at you if you don't get that Mark, damn ballot in. Mark Mark Broussard was texting me literally minutes before we came, you and I signed into Zoom. Um, I've pr- promised him it will be in by about five fifty nine Eastern time. Um, they're due. It's they're due at six. 
What's the what? Give me give me your two toughest decisions, and we'll see if I can. We can talk it through, and I will I will tell you well, what I did in these circumstances. I, I, so I I will say it's not in yet, um, but it's I have I've completed everything except for all NBA, and I think I'm actually down to just the forwards on all NBA um, before you and I signed on, and I will finish it up when we sign off. Um, Mark Broussard, I promise you the, <laughs> these will be filed on time. Um, I believe I'm perennially one of the last to file. Uh, I kind of take it as a point of pride now. Um, so MVP was tough. Duh. We all know that. We've all argued and, and discussed it uh, literally. Uh, I was going to say literally to death, but that's not actually true. I'm still alive. Um, it feels like we've argued it to death. Um, it has been uh, deathly painful, uh, the arguments. Um, but all NBA is has be. it's always tough. There's always too many bodies. That's fine. That's why it's an honor. I don't mind hard cuts. What's made it more difficult this year is that now more than ever in this era, and I don't know the NBA is trying to take care of this in the CBA with minimum games and all this stuff, and I don't think it's I, I, fine. And maybe it'll simplify my life. I like that we have the judgment, that we can make the judgment. But in other years, Zach, there were some obvious ones where it's like, I can just cross a line through this guy because it's too few games, and I can, I can elevate this other person or I can recognize this other person. The problem this year is so many guys who should be worthwhile, who are among the best at their position and who had phenomenal seasons when they were actually playing, played so few games. And I've always been one who believes that it's it's okay to have the LeBron James exception or the Steph Curry exception. They are all-time greats. And I, you and I have discussed this before. And I know you've, you've talked about this before too. Sometimes it's just, why? Because he's Steph freaking Curry or because he's LeBron freaking James. Well, both of those players are on my all-NBA teams. I yeah. won't say exactly where they're, but they're both on. LeBron... You know, there's the three all-time forwards in Kawhi, KD, and LeBron who who played fewer games than ideally you would like. LeBron played the most games and significantly the most minutes of those three. Yes. Curry is Curry, and I have both Curry and Lillard on my all-NBA teams. Uh, Lillard actually, in 58 games, played a ton of minutes, like almost 20, 2,100 and something minutes. Curry played, I think, 1950 or something like that. And the toughest cut after that, of, uh, in terms of the guys who had played like the 50-something games for me was Devin Booker at, at 53 games and I think about 150 fewer minutes than Curry. And I just concluded like he just wasn't quite as good as those as Curry and Lillard who played more minutes and Dame significantly so and were just outrageously like they, those two guys are all-time great players who played at pretty much peak levels for them. So they're both they are both on my uh, among my six All NBA guards and Devin Booker. Apologies to Devin Booker who played at an All NBA level, did not make it on my yeah. ballot. No, um, as of right now, <laughs> I, I don't think subject to change. I'm pretty I'm pretty set on these. I do have Curry and Lillard both. I do not have Booker and and and, and I'm not making apologies for it because Steph is Steph and Dame is Dame and and even if they only played a few more games than Booker. It's a few games, and those guys were playing at an outstanding level, and they are absolute all-time greats, and they deserve a little bit more consideration. They have absolutely earned that. So I have, I had no problem there. Um, LeBron is one I'm, I was still wrestling with. And the thing is, when you start wrestling with whether to put LeBron there still, I don't. there's no Anthony Davis exception. He's not at LeBron's level, historically speaking, or, or otherwise. But, you know, games played, it's comparable LeBron and AD, and AD's been really, really important to the Lakers and has, has had a pretty fantastic season well here's ad's problem he's a center and i know he's listed yeah. at forward and center 
but that's bogus and yeah. it's cheating to list him as a forward. Just like so Demonis yeah. Sabonis is a center, Jokic yes. is a center, and Bede is a center. So AD to me, I thought about sliding. I don't I'm not in love with my third team forwards. And the two guys I thought about sliding in just because I thought they were phenomenal when they played this season for third team forward were Anthony Davis, and ultimately I decided, no, he's a center and he's not going to make my three All-NBA teams. The All-NBA centers are Embiid, Jokic, and Sabonis Agreed. for me. Um, and Jaron Jackson Jr. And I just decided, I, I just don't think he's quite played enough enough minutes compared to these other guys who who do who are all massive, you know, 25 and up scorers. And I love Jaron Jackson Jr. and I can talk about him later, but I, I couldn't get there with AD. No, and, and, and I did not either, and I won't, and I also don't want to shoehorn guys. As long as the NBA is still sending us ballots, and they still are, at least now, with two guards, two forwards, and a center on each team, I'm going to go by where those guys played the most. And some you know some guard forward types do swing back and forth. And that's a little bit different. But Sabonis has played nearly entirely at center, and Anthony Davis has played nearly entirely at center. And like I just, I'm not going to mess around there. I'm not going to do the thing where people want to put Jokic and Embiid on the same first team. All it's, it's nope. stop. I, did, I didn't do that. I didn't do that for Embiid, and I'm not going to do it for Jokic, which yeah. is my way of saying I'm not going to reveal all my award choices here because my dot com editors will be mad. <laughs> I, I voted 2023 MVP Joel Embiid, and I went Embiid. Jokic, Giannis, Tatum, Donovan Mitchell. That's my MVP ballot. Luka fell off of it toward the end of the season. I just don't think he can be on a team that finishes 11th and crack the top five in MVP. There were other guys in consideration for that fifth spot. I don't. I, we've talked a lot about the MVP. I articulated the case for Joel Embiid last week with Kevin Pelton. I, I thought that was a pretty clear wink-wink to where I was leaning, so I don't really need to articulate that case. I'm comfortable with the vote. I think the last five weeks has just been all Embiid for various reasons that, again, I've already kind of articulated. I know I know the, not excuses, but I know the reality of Denver's situation having locked in the number one seed. Um, but I voted Embiid MVP in the end, and I think he's deserving, and I think he is going to win, and maybe easily. Um, I believe our ballots are identical, so I guess that's my way of confirming who I voted for. Um the Luca thing was interesting, by the way. And you know, you've talked. We talked. Everybody's talked about Embiid, Jokic at ad nauseum. So I'm, I don't even need to go there. But you know, my my, my ballot, I think, is exactly the same as yours. Um, and I have I had Mitchell in that fifth slot. After you know, like Luca was on my theoretical MVP ballot in some spot all, all, all year. Every time Bontemps called up for the straw poll or texted for the straw poll, I, I think I had Luca there somewhere. But the ghastly finish to their season is one thing. I also ended up looking this up because, you know, we have a kind of a sliding scale, right? Winning historically with a couple of notable exceptions. And you know how I feel about the wins part of MVP winning has historically been a really, really big part of this more so at the top of the ballot than the bottom and four and five is where you kind of reward other people who might've had outstanding seasons, but maybe they weren't quite as outstanding or their team wasn't quite as, out but I, I was curious, like, were there even any top five finishers in the MVP race in recent years from a losing team and I, I didn't go back all the way because I, I could have been here forever, but I went back a good 15 years and I did not find a single top five finisher in the MVP from a losing team in the last 15 seasons. And I was so, going to guess maybe Kevin Love from like the 2012 Wolves when they would go like 40 and 42 every year and they'd be like plus eight with Kevin Love on the floor and minus 45,000 with Kevin Love on yeah. the bench, but not even him, huh? I went they, back. All they, the, they were all over the way to 500 like, yeah. some of those years too. They were over 500, even if he cracked 
I don't think he, five. and I don't think he did crack. I, so I went back to like 07, 08 or some, somewhere in that range. And I did not find anybody from a losing team. And so I thought, you know what, that that's good enough for me to like, I, like Luke is incredible. He's a phenomenal player. If you're starting a team tomorrow, he's one of the first picks you're taking, but um, that, that was just such a, a ghastly humiliating end of their season. And, and they, they, you know, if you can't even make the play in, you're not in the, you're not in the MVP discussion anymore. I'm sorry. Um, the last thing I'll say on MVP that I think I neglected to say last week in making the case for Embiid is he actually leads Jokic in a couple of the advanced stats this year and is much closer in others than he's ever been before. Like the last two years, two things that Jokic said going for him is number one, a substantial minutes advantage. Doesn't have that this year. Yeah. And number two, all of the advanced stats, and I'm not dumb. I know that you can't look at any one of them and say, that one is ironclad. That one is right. I don't have to think anymore and use my brain for critical thinking because Schnorp tells me that this guy's number one and that guy's number two. No, but when 15 Schnorps all tell you the same thing, you have to at least acknowledge their existence and listen to them, not listen to them, but acknowledge their viewpoint on things and their viewpoint is different this year. Um, what was your other, what was, give me one individual award, forget the all NBA, all defense, all rookie, one of the six individual awards that you, that you fretted over the most. Of the individual awards that I fretted over the most, I'm scrolling back through. Um, most improved is always difficult, um, but you know, I'm, I'm fine with where I went there. Six man wasn't all that big of a deal. Um I don't know that I, I don't think I'd struggle with the top line on any of these. I struggled with like on the coach of the year ballot. I think Mike Brown might win unanimously at this stage, but I was struggling with the two, three, there's always like six, seven, eight coaches that are worthy of recognition. Um, and I really wanted to get Michael Malone on there. And at, at the last minute, um, I swerved. <laughs> so hey, my, man. Michael Malone's have... my fourth place on a, on a three man ballot. <laughs> He, he has done an incredible job. I give him some love. He's been on my ballot before, and I give him some love in my honorable mentions this year. There are two ways you can look at the Nuggets, right? Well, not two. I, I find the last five weeks of Nuggets basketball somewhat troubling. I cannot just dismiss this as this team in early March whooped Memphis, locked up the number one seed for all intents and purposes, and has been snoozing through the remainder of the season. There's some snoozing going on. They will. There's a chance that Denver comes out in the first round of the playoffs just like a like a house on fire, just whipping the ball around, cutting, dunking, talking trash, and be like, oh, oh, that gear was sitting here. Um, I, I, I'm I'm slightly worried. I'm slightly worried about about the Nuggets, and and I'm not saying that that's a reason to not vote Michael Malone. It's just you jogged my memory of a Nuggets thought that I wanted to to get across. I voted for Mike I, Brown. Yeah, um, and the thing is, you know, over the last couple of years, as as people have weighed Jokic's MVP candidacy, and and a lot of the times it's it's been strengthened by the fact, well, he's missing Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr., or he's you know it's it's the lackluster supporting cast, it's all the volatility they've had around him, and you know it speaks well of Jokic that. He has been able to elevate them. It also speaks well of the coach who has kept this team on track and found good combinations, even when he didn't have good options. Um, and and I, I just think his voice there, too, like, you know, he, that that's a team that can be kind of um, I don't know what the right the right word is. You, you take on the personality sometimes of your best player. Right. And Jokic is is 
laid back isn't even the right word, but there's a certain, like you don't feel that same intensity off of him as you feel off of other dominant players in this league. Sometimes it's a different kind of style that he plays, even just his, his uh, demeanor on the court. But Malone is like fire and brimstone sometimes. And I think they need it. Like, I, I think he's the right coach to try to, to, to keep the fire lit there sometimes. And so I think that's an aspect of it too. Um, BJ Bickerstaff ended up my number two. Um, and, and Mark Dagnall, whose last name, I never feel like I'm pronouncing correctly. And it has a lot of consonants and vowels in strange places. Um, and looks like it should be pronounced with some kind of French accent that I cannot pull off, uh, was my number three. I'll have the beef Dagonal, please. The beef Dagonal. <laughs> Something like with that. With a little au jus. Um, <laughs> that's my exact rest. coach of the year ballot. Uh, the two that I struggled with most individually, and I will I will just talk very briefly, rookie of the year and defensive player of the year. Rookie of the year is the one I'll, I'll say who I voted for. I, last 50-something games of the season, Jalen Williams, 15.5 points a game, way better shooting, than Paolo Bancaro. Last 50-something games of the season, Paolo Bancaro, 19 points a game, way worse shooting, like 40%, 30%, compared to 50%, 40% than Jalen Williams. And so you ask yourself, 53 games, that's like three and a half points? Like, that's all? You're going to vote for Paolo Bancaro because of three and a half points? That's it? I ended up voting for Paolo Bancaro um, because obviously you cannot dismiss the first 25 or 30 games in which he was not dominant, but really, really good. And something that a couple of coaches said to me as I was thinking about this, something I'm aware of, but I haven't lived it, and, and, and so I don't know how it feels, but they said, you know, what Jalen Williams did in the last 50 games, absolutely tremendous. The guy looks like he's going to be a star. You're, you are correct to be really, really high on him. You are almost correct to, to just vote him rookie of the year, which I really came close to doing, but you can't underestimate the physical toll those first 30 games took on Bancaro, a rookie working as the number one option and looking really, really good. And the, and and conversely, the, the toll they did not take on Jalen Williams, who was probably fresher by game 40 and game 50 than Paolo Bancaro was, having not had to... In fact, Jalen Williams came off the bench for the first 15, 20 games of the season. So I voted Bancaro. And, and my ultimate litmus test was, all right, just nerf gun to the head. In five years, which of these guys is most likely to be like an all-NBA superstar? I, I think it's still Bancaro, and I think that we'll remember that from his rookie year, the moments where he showed that. So that was that was one I deliberated really hard on, and when I first filled it out, I had Jalen Williams, and I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, but I ended up at Bancaro, and actually feel I feel okay about it. Yeah, I went Bancaro, Williams, and, and Kessler in that order. Um, so we it's funny because we talk ourselves out of things sometimes over time because – I think we we are we have gotten smarter about how to process all this over the years um in the age of analytics and social media and more discussion of this. We have, I think, all tried to not be too beholden to just the raw numbers. Like, okay, who's the rookie of the year? Uh, who's it's whoever scored, you know, 20, 25 points a game. Whoever was the leading score among the rookies is the rookie of the year. Uh who's the sixth man of the year? Uh, whoever's the highest score. Like, and and the the pushback in this era has been more to the game than just scoring. And by the way, the efficiency matters. And, you know, usually it's, a, especially with rookie of the year, high pick, bad team gets a lot of shots. Okay. You don't want to be that reductive and you don't want to reward a guy just for taking a lot of shots, but that's not really what Bancaro did. But I also do think in defense of kind of the older model of this, uh, of, of what a rookie of the year is, 
He had the entire franchise on his shoulders. Like, yeah, more shots. Yeah, more opportunity. Yeah, more responsibility, See, too. I even, I even so, push back on that a little bit because Franz Wagner and Wendell Carter Jr. and Markel Fultz sure. are, not, are not like dopes. Those guys no. are good players. It's not no. like he's out there just like, I got to take he's, 35 shots a game. He's, even that gave me yeah. pause. He's not on a barren team by any stretch. But when you occupy that position, when you've been drafted in that position, there is something that comes with that. There is an extra pressure and, and a responsibility with it. Um, besides, and he also, you know, look, he, he played his ass off in a variety of ways. He wasn't just out there as some like volume shooter, right? So that's where you don't want to get too caught up in, in the numbers. If, it's, if a guy is just... Well, um, to, to just, your point, this is going to sound dumb. He looks the part. And by that, I mean, he's physical, he's smart, he's agile, and he's incredibly skilled. Skilled yeah. enough to walk in the league and on one possession, run an inverted pick and roll and score. On the next possession, screen in a traditional pick and roll and score or make a read on the fly, spraying the ball out to shooters. On the next possession, facilitate from the elbow. Like the guy can do everything on offense already. And so he got my vote. Okay, let's do, can we do some mini previews? Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and I'm glad we didn't have to go too deep on uh, – MVP because I think we're all sick of it by now. And I did, uh, for people that haven't seen it yet, I did write a good like 2,000 words last week for uh, GQ.com on the idea of voter fatigue, which I am saying is not really a thing. And it kind of maybe is like a tiny, tiny bit, but it's mostly because of Carl Malone a thousand years ago. And I don't think it's applying to this year. And if Joe, if Jokic doesn't win it, you blame it on whatever else you want. Um, I, I, it's not going to be because of voter fatigue. Again, I made the case last week. If you want to hear the case, you can listen to that. Or you can read my column that comes out in a couple days. Mini preview. Thunder Pelicans, the 9-10 game in New Orleans. Are the Pelicans going to do this again where they come from the play-in graveyard and roar their way into the playoffs? I think this is going to be a fun game. We have two fantastic defensive matchups, Howard Beck. When Oklahoma City has the ball, the slithery, ungraspable, like trying to catch a fish with your bare hands, Shea Gilders Alexander will be guarded by Herb Jones. Woo! When the Pelicans have the ball, Brandon Ingram will be guarded by Lou Dort. And there's going to be a lot of Shea and B.I. hunting for matchups that they like. For Shea, I think that's going to be, let's see what we can get poking at Jonas Valanciunas a little bit in the pick and roll. Can I get some good mid-range jumpers? Can I get big Jalen Williams, the other Jalen Williams, some, some threes? And some of these games come down to, like, does Big Jalen Williams have a random four of six game from three? It's one game. It's one game. Some of it will come down to, you watch the film, SGA likes to find C.J. McCollum and say, where's C.J. McCollum? He's the littlest guy. You got all these other switchy dudes, your Trey Murphys, your Herbs, you know, your Larry Nances if he's at center. I don't like those guys. Give me C.J. McCollum. And B.I. is going to do the same thing. He likes Isaiah Joe. He likes the – I think they should make Shea work on defense, go at him a little bit. These teams don't shoot threes very well, so the spacing's going to get cramped. They both get to the rim a lot. My favorite stat of this game is that the Pelicans have the worst field goal percentage allowed at the rim on defense this year, i.e. teams shoot like a gazillion percent against them at the rim. And the Thunder, who get to the rim a lot, have the worst field goal percentage at the rim on offense. So it's the immovable object against the what is it i don't know whatever the, force, I whatever the other thing is of rim incompetence is that facing off each other force? i am picking the pelicans to win this game at home i think they're deeper and fresher the thunder are really kind of 
with Holmgren out all year, Muscala traded, and Kenrich Williams, who would be super useful for them in this game as a small ball five, they're kind of like a threadbare team. And they're even playing, they're even just saying, like, to hell with it, let's just put our five best guys on the floor, even though they're all guards, which is Giddy, Shea, Jalen Williams, Dort, and Isaiah Joe off the bench, and like, let's just let it fly. I'm going to pick the Pelicans to win this one. I think that's right. Um, I feel like these play-ins might, they could be kind of a, just a, a coin toss in some respect, but, uh, the, you know, the Pelicans have, I haven't, I haven't gone and looked at the numbers for, you know, pl- you know, playoff experience deficit here, but, um, CJ McCollum's been in a bunch of playoff games and, uh, he won, he, he won a game seven in Denver, man. When Dame was out of gas, CJ McCollum dragged him across the finish line for the Blazers. Um, and there's a lot of youth on this team too, but I mean, you've got veterans in Ingram and, and Valanciunas and guys who have been around a bit. The Thunder are still pretty young. Is there like a single, I'm looking outside of like Dario Sorich. Is there anybody with he's, playoff He's been experience? their backup five lately and he's right. been actually okay. But by, by the way, if the other thing you mentioned Valanciunas, if I'm New Orleans, I'm, I'm feeding him the ball early, making, making Jalen Williams, rookie Jalen Williams, guard him in the post making Dario Saric guard him in the post, or you got a front and we got to get shots elsewhere. And Herb Jones is on one right now shooting threes. I think the Pelicans are going to win and end a wonderful season for the Thunder. But what the hell do I know, Howard Beck? It's just one game. But we've got those matchups are fun. Herb Jones against Shea and Dort against B.I. And those have been the primary op- uh, matchups uh, in these games. That's fun. I like it. It's fun. Um, once again, uh, the, the the play-in is is fantastic, and and the stakes. Listen, I I understood neither of these teams are having their 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 years or their lives made made or break broken um, on one play-in game, but um, but sudden death is fun, and um, well, or or yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's one big missing character here, other than Chet Holmgren, and that's Zion. And I keep saying this on TV, like. Zion has played 114 games in four years. 114 in four years, including playoffs, which he has played none. At, at what point is, just a, is this just a crisis for the Pelicans? At what point is this endemic to the experience of having him on your team? And I don't mean that default him. It just is what it is. He doesn't play. And it's hard to build a team around someone who doesn't play when he plays he is absolutely worthy of being someone you build a team around. He's that good. He's Lawrence Taylor mixed with Shaq. You can't keep him away from the rim. I just – we keep getting these updates, and every update's the same. as like ramping up. Uh, you know, we're going to give you further updates later. Not ready to play yet. I was like, at, at what point – Perk has suggested they should try to trade him. I, I get why he's saying that. It just would be an all-time low kind of to trade him at. But, like, I, I do think we're reaching the point where – the Pelicans need to have a hard conversation with themselves, with Zion, with everybody on the team, and be like, "What do we do here? Like, how do we plan our next four years at this point?" There, there's. It, it's funny because there's a couple of these quandaries around the league, right? Like the Mavericks have this massive quandary, I think, with Kyrie Irving having, you know, traded away all these assets to get him, and and if he walks, when you, oh great, you've got cap room, but, but like you've got nothing around Luca, and but if you do re-sign him depending on how long, like there's a lot of risk that comes with resigning. Like that's a quandary. The Zion quandary is the single biggest quandary, I think, of, of any team with star player in the NBA and and maybe of the last 10 or 15 years because, yeah, his his ceiling is perennial MVP candidate. 
and his 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 floor or his basement is what they've experienced for the last four years where he's just never healthy for any length of time and he's already maxed out super maxed out mega maxed turbo maxed whatever he's got he's got, got every, making every dollar you can possibly make in the nba system and even if you like i i could make the theoretical argument i guess perk has i, I missed that the theoretical theoretical argument to trade him, I would get because you've got a, a cornerstone all star in, in, in Brennan Ingram and a guy who plays flirts with all star caliber play um, in CJ McCollum and a bunch of really good young players. And if you could trade Zion for anywhere near his value, you'd get a bunch of other cool stuff to put around those two players, and and, and you'd be in great shape and you'd have a lot more uh, reliability in your core. But yeah, I don't. I don't know what anybody would give up for Zion, right? Like, it's a, that'd be a really interesting hypothetical to start throwing at GMs right now. Is uh, what if he were available? What would you be willing to give up? And I'm not sure there's a whole lot that anybody would. Um, that I'm not ready to go there yet. Yeah, it's not. Let's do a quick caca preview of Heat Hawks. Do you have any Heat Hawks thoughts other than the Heat beat the hell out of the Hawks almost every goddamn time they play? I, I kind of I, listen. I, this is a mercy killing. The Heat should just put the Hawks out of their misery and let them go into their offseason and deal with their quandaries. Uh, because if I'm if I'm doing the 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 uh, all NBA all quandary list, Trey Young is is uh, creeping up the standings. I got a weird gut feeling, Howard Beck. Oh, I got a weird gut feeling. I don't like it. Hawks in the upset. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't feel is, good. I don't feel my brain doesn't feel good about it. Because, what is Hawks over? What is Hawks overheat based on? What is the impulse or or data point here? I just I haven't been. The the Heat have not given anyone a huge reason for them to be optimistic that there's like a big run coming here. I mean, they were the number one seed last year. It was like they were one shot away. You got to forget that. Yeah, they were the number one seed last year. They're the seventh seed this year. I think. You know, the Lowry thing, I don't think he's reclaiming his starting spot. And if Gabe Vincent and Tyler Hero and Max Struess are all on the floor together to start games, which is the way they've been going recently, I got a lot of spots to pick at if I'm an opposing offense with talent. And the Hawks have talent. The Hawks have talent. And the Heat have really defanged that talent by just blitzing the hell out of Trey Young, throwing different looks at him. Sometimes they'll drop. Sometimes they'll drop on the side. Sometimes they'll play zone. He just doesn't know what's coming. If, if he trusts his teammates and they make enough threes, I think they can win this game. And it's it goes against every bit of common sense I have because you have the historic matchup. You have one team is tough as We know that. And the other team is is just been mired in controversy all year and drama and all that. And it and Jimmy Butler to win a game feels like a good bet. Like he'll just he'll he'll do the thing. Where he'll just be like, all right, I, do I just have to get to the foul line 17 times in the second half? Like, I'll get to the foul line 17 times. My gut says this is going to be a really competitive game and the Hawks might win. I just, on talent, I think that they, I think they're, I, I, my, my, I my gut is, my gut is Jimmy Butler's going for like you know, 35, 10, and 8 or something and uh, the Heat win. And, I'm and, not, I, I'm just saying, everyone's pending. I already see the segments. Like, should the Celtics be scared of the Heat? Are the, are the Celtics in trouble in the first round? I'm like, I, I'm not pen and penciling in the Heat in the seventh seed right now. Uh, I know their offense has been playing better lately, um, but I, I, you know, the Jimmy Butler matchup is a problem for Atlanta. I actually, I would watch on John Collins maybe starting on Jimmy Butler if they start the Max Struess lineup with Max Struess at the four because there's no one else really for for um, 
for John Collins to guard. I thought the Heat might start Caleb Martin because he's over Struess because he's guarded Trey pretty well. But um, we'll see. And Jimmy, Jimmy can guard Dejounte Murray too. He's guarded him really well. He can guard anybody. I don't know. My gut, my gut is is smelling a little. Ka-ka-ra! Howard Beck, <laughs> you wrote for GQ this week uh, on voter fatigue. You mentioned it before. I read it. Um, and you're going to be writing for them throughout the postseason, correct? Yes, I will be covering the playoffs for GQ over the next uh, few months. And then uh, beyond that, we'll see. Thank you, sir. Read everything Howard does at GQ. Listen to him whenever he talks, including on this podcast and in other places. Mr. Beck, I'm sorry I didn't greet you with a what up. I will do it next time. I'll see you soon, my friend. Appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right. Well, poor guy, Tim McMahon. You can't, there's no end to this for you. There's no end to the podcast appearances. There's no end to the TV appearances. There's no end to any of this in your life because every week it's something different with the Dallas Mavericks. And since we have last talked about the Dallas Mavericks, I, I, I can't even bear to list all the things that have happened to them. They lost their protest. Mm-hmm. They lost a whole bunch of games. Mm-hmm. Then they won a really inspiring game to stay alive in the play-in race. Then right after lost- Luca's rallying cry, we will not shut it down as long as we have any hope. Go on. Then they lost um, on purpose mm-hmm. to keep their or give themselves an 80% chance of keeping the top 10 protected pick that they owe the New York Knicks. Uh, in between all that, we don't need to rehash it, but Mark Cuban gave a long media session in which he tried to explain away the Jalen Brunson debacle in ways that really did not make sense and and mm-hmm. I think conveniently obviated some interesting facts and timelines and all that. I think I used that word correctly. I don't care if I didn't. You know what I, I mean. First time I've ever heard it, but it sound that's a Dartmouth word. Go on. I, I think it's actually Texas. maybe I, it's possible. I, it's possible I used it wrong. Um, and then um, then the league announced that they were going to investigate the Dallas Mavericks for holding. Mm. All their players out except for Luca in the in against the Chicago Bulls in their second to last game of the season, and Luca played a quarter in a in a minute because it was Slovenian night. Hope he didn't spend too much on your tickets, as I said before, to Slovenian and, night. And he'd given the big rallying cry, the big um, rallying yes. cry, and and so now they're under investigation. We could talk about whether we think that's fair, and then get the FBI involved. That's going to be a really difficult investigation to uh, to to handle. I mean, wow. Who, who, who can tell what they're trying to do there? Well, uh, we'll get there. And then Kyrie Irving skipped his exit interview. 
Okay. With, with the, well, I do want to clarify his exit interview with the media. I don't think he skipped out on the front office, as far as I know, or coaches. He just didn't talk to the media. Okay. Pawns. Um, <laughs> and Luca, in his exit interview with the media, took issue with your reporting. Oh, that's even, a first. Even though, let's let's be clear what Tim McMahon reported. I tried to make sure everybody was. Well, you was mocking me. Go on. You cannot. You cannot overestimate the degree to which people will see and hear only what they want to see and hear, or in this case, what they don't want to see and hear. I don't know which it is. You reported that the Mavericks, or or some sources within the Mavericks, correct, have a fear Mm -hmm. that if things don't change, that Luka Doncic may begin the process of perhaps requesting a trade as early as the summer of 2024. You did not report that Luka Doncic and his agents, Bill Duffy, etc., have gotten together and begun to plot this out because they have not done it, to my knowledge. All you did was say, this team feels the same emotion rationally that any team in its position currently would feel vis-a-vis Luka Doncic. Absolutely. If the Mavericks weren't worried about Luka Doncic requesting a trade at some point during the life of his contract, they would then have. They'd be complete doofuses. Doofus is a great word. Nobody calls anybody doofuses anymore. I don't know if we should or not. I don't really know the origin of doofus, but I just like the way it sounds. I should look it up. I'll look that up and obviate uh, when we're done here. Um, but yeah, right. I mean, honestly, and it. To be clear, I didn't put this out there like, oh, my gosh, what a revelation. This was, you know, in the 13th, it's 14th paragraph sense. of a, of a you know, it was packed in the context of what an awful season it was. Here's what it can mean. Here's where the Mavs are. Here's the concerns moving forward. And, and like you said, this is common sense. Do you follow the NBA? Did you see what went down with Andy Davis in New Orleans with James Harden in Houston? Uh, Kevin Durant actually screwed up the timetable because he got out with three and a half years left in Brooklyn. But summer 2024 is when Luca would have two years left on his contract because we all know the player option, whether he he can be ecstatic about staying in Dallas at that point or not. He's not picking up that player option because he's, he's going to make a ton more money than that option is uh, for that fifth year. So we've got 2024, he'll have two more years left. And you don't, if they have another miserable season next year, why, how couldn't he think about, man, dude, we're not any better off six years into my career than we were when they got me as a high lottery pick? Like, what tick, are we doing here? Tick, how do we do? Tick, tick. Yeah, that's all it tick. is. It's And like, Zach, have we talked about this all year long? Yeah. Have, honestly, people within the Mavericks talked about it all year long? We, we yes. talked about it, you and I, since the second it became clear Jalen Brunson was going to New York. Whenever that was and however you want to relitigate that, and I do not want to spend any time on this podcast relitigating all the that has gotten Dallas to this point, all the decisions, all the drip, drip, drip of talent out the door, all the talent that never came in the door because of draft mm-hmm. and free agency decisions and mishaps, all that. The second Brunson was gone, the conversation went from the back burner, which is already a burner. Back burner is a burner. You can cook on the back burner up to the right. front burner. And it's been on the front burner ever since, and now the front burner has turned up a little bit. That's all. Woo. Yeah, no, it's it's hot. It's hot. Look, and you know, as as we discussed yesterday with Luca, it's not like the Mavericks have never won. 
They went to a Western Conference Finals in the last year of his rookie deal. But then when the next step is not, not even a step back, they got knocked on their asses this year and ended up in the ditch. That's the only way to describe making a massive risk of a blockbuster trade midseason and then tanking in the last a, couple a, of games. A trade, neither, a, trade, a trade neither of us liked, to be, to be clear, at the time. Right. I understood the desperation then. By the way, the desperation to make that trade is all part of this broader conversation that we're having. If they don't feel like, dude, how do we get a co-star? How do we get a co-star? Oh, God, we can't pass on the chance to get a co-star, even with all the risk. Th that trade was made in large part because of this pressure that comes with having Luka uh, on the roster. And it's a blessing and a curse. Would you much rather have this pressure than not? Obviously, but it is pressure. Can you take me through the whiplash of inspirational win against the Kings, everyone going all out, to Thunder beat the Jazz in a game that was, by the way, competitive for about three and a quarter mm -hmm. quarters because the Thunder are not limping to the finish line, but like it was not unreasonable. It would not have been unreasonable had Dallas not punted early to think, yeah, the Memphis B team – they might have a shot to beat the Thunder if the Thunder feel pressure in that last game. Like, that wouldn't have been a crazy outcome, even if Memphis sat, mm -hmm. Morant sat, Jackson sat, everybody. If you got Kenneth Lofton Jr., baby, you got a shot. And the Thunder are not blowing the off rookie of the year. Is it, is it just as simple as the Thunder won that game and that was what they were waiting on? Like, can you just take me through how – and then they sit everybody but Luka, which is obviously then becomes clear that's for Slovenian night, so I get that. But is there? can you add any – any clarity I, to me. And I, I don't think it was just for Slovenian night because, again, if we're going to go through the whiplash, we've got to start with there's this kind of, I'm going to call it a trial balloon that's sent up about, hey, the Mavs might tank this last week of the regular season. That talk starts getting out there on Monday. Luca, who very rarely talks after a home practice, talked Tuesday, and he had something he wanted to say, and that was as long as there's a chance – I'm going to play. I wasn't part of that discussion. And they know not to basically, they know not to come to me with that discussion. Like I'm playing, even if there's a little chance, a slim chance. Okay. And then who he else is, to, if he doesn't play, who's going to yell at the referees? Are you going to have an easy day of work? Oh, I thought he might get teed up during that last little quarter that he played and just go ahead and serve a suspension, but he, he didn't. Uh, so you have that. And then, you know, he, he talked a little bit more and talks about, you know, he was, transparent as he as he is hey no there's not confidence how could there be they'd lost he said nine to ten it was seven or eight at a time and you know the chemistry is just not the same this year and when that's when i said well how much you guys miss brunson because i everybody knows what brunson meant to that team that was around him and he just looked so pained and he said a lot uh just kind of shaking his head so then we go the next day, Mark Cuban, who has not been available to the media very often. This has been a pretty significant shift really over the last couple of years since Nico Harrison got hired. Uh, he makes a point to kind of stroll out and make himself available uh, about two and a half hours before tip. Talks to media for about 45 minutes. And his agenda was the Brunson Blaine, basically shifting it off him, all Rick Brunson's fault. Um, we want to keep Kyrie, but then I think Cuban kind of put himself in a little bit when he 
wouldn't flat out say, hey, we're not going to get outbid, which he said about Brunson last year. It didn't end up being true. When are it. you too old for you to blame your own failures on your parents or for people to blame things you do on your parents? I feel like I feel like the, the age well, of the statute of – the statute of limitations passed on like being like, oh, Rick Brunson told Jalen what to do, and that's what happened. Well, to be clear, Jalen's not blaming his dad. Jalen's happy. Jalen is having Jalen's a borderline dad. all NBA yeah. year for a fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. That, by the way, I think is going to. Well, we'll see where Randall is. Well, I, I think I, it's going to put up a be, competitive series. I was going to say, I think that might be the best first round series. It's going to be a fun one. And then, uh, you know, about Luca's long term kind of optimism. For the franchise, I thought Cuban really hit this one right on the money. Basically, I'm going to paraphrase, but he said, uh, I think he wants to be here his whole career, but we've got to earn that. Uh, we've got to earn that. It is a direct quote. So the fans and, need to listen because he's telling them that they're worried. He's, well, he's telling stating, them. He's, yeah, he's stating the obvious. And what do you, you know, it's a tough question to answer because, like, what are you going to, you can't say, oh my gosh, we're terrified, but you also can't say, dude, Luke is going to be here his whole career because then Luke is like, oh wow, you're taking me for granted. So, you know, it's a tough question to answer. I'll acknowledge that. But I thought what he said is 100% accurate. Um, then they go out, they beat the Kings. Kyrie goes bonkers in the fourth quarter, scores 19 in the fourth quarter. And you know what? That might have ended up being, we'll see how things play out, but that might have ended up being Kyrie Irving's last moments wearing a Dallas Mavericks uniform because Friday they made the decision to pull the plug on the season. And I was shocked. I'm not going to lie to you. I was shocked when I got the alert for the injury report Friday morning because everybody was listed as you know, they, they were ready to go, gun, guns ablaze, and they're going to play everybody. And as you mentioned, they'd lost uh, the uh, Jazz had lost the previous night. Uh, to the Thunder. So that was, you know, it was win or be eliminated. And they knew, hey, if OKC wins their finale, you're eliminated anyways. The percentages said this was the rational move for the Mavericks to make. You laid out the the pick protections with New York. If you're top 10, 80% chance, you keep it. If you're not, it's like an 8-point-something percent chance. They were tied with the Bulls for the 10th best odds. So losing to the Bulls is like a double whammy in the tank direction you're trying to go the only reason i was shocked by all this was because luca had been so firm and so adamant and by his standards really was a rallying cry you know he even mentioned like i always say you got to believe like i said it when we were down 2-0 against the suns last year you know you always got to believe when you got any chance 69 and mets then, baby there you go and then uh obviously they they lose those last two luca did come out for exit interviews and i asked luca like what changed from when you said that Tuesday to Friday? And he just said, I didn't like that decision. That's it. Like, well, like, were you involved in it? Did they discuss it with you? He's like, he's like, yeah, obviously. And basically just said, hey, we we came to an agreement. And essentially, they did something he didn't want to do. And what it comes down to is this. Obviously, the Mavericks are walking on eggshells with Luca, And that's not a criticism of him. Like, we can talk about any team with any, you know, once you get to a certain status as a superstar franchise is walking eggshells with these guys it's just the way it is the decision ultimately was hey luca might be pissed about this right now but the only chance for his long-term happiness is for us to really make drastic progress building a roster around him and dude if we don't have a top 10 pick this year oh boy so they felt like essentially you know 
Luca ultimately what he wants is as much town around him as possible. And sorry that Tankton's got to be part of that process, but they they felt like it that was the position they'd put themselves in. And to be clear, the difference between 10th and 11th in the lottery order is as gargantuan as it gets. So currently, you just said... When you owe a top 10 protected pick, yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) Currently, they have, as you said, a 79.8-80% chance, we'll say, of being 10 or higher. Had they just went up in in the standings slash down in the lottery to 11th, they have a 90% chance of picking 11th or higher. I mean, that is as stark a percentage difference as you're going to get. It's why they did it. We all know why they did it. I had someone spitballing with me yesterday saying, you know, the Mavs, it's it's rational, Zach. It's rational. I'm going to I'm going to give you a hot take here, Zach. The Mavs are closer to winning a title now than they were in the conference finals last season. And I said, they were five. They were by definition like eight wins away from winning the title last year. That's insane talk. That's insane talk. But it's some people think that. But look, if someone told you Tim McMahon, hey man, there's a twenty percent chance you're going to get struck by lightning today if you leave your house, but you really had something you wanted to do, like you had tickets to the Super Bowl or something like that. It's like eighty percent chance I can go watch the Super Bowl and sit in a suite. 20% chance I get stuck struck by lightning. I'm guessing you're staying home. Yeah, plus, honestly, I don't want to sit in traffic anyway. So, yeah, I'm definitely sitting at home. My point is, I don't, I, I haven't gone back and researched it yet. Given the humiliation and the embarrassment that they suffered or inflicted upon themselves to get to this point, I don't know that there's been a team in the lottery. There's obviously been teams with hopes, right? Like the the Bobcats mm-hmm. way back when in the AD draft, they went in hoping, right? But everyone has hope, right? For to to leap up to number one or number two, everyone at the bottom has that every year. I don't know if there's mm-hmm. been a team that's going to have the butt cheeks clenched as tightly out of fear of that twenty percent as the Dallas Mavericks, whoever is their representative in the lottery room in May. I want to sit next to that person because I want to see the tension on their face because 20% Mm. is non-trivial. It is non-trivial. And if they end up forking this pick over on top Mm. of all this, that is just an all time moment. And I'm not saying, I I don't know. I I, I have no rooting interest. I'm just saying like people are acting as if they've kept the pick. 20% is not nothing. 20% is, is, is something. And listen, people in Dallas, longtime Mavericks fans, know all too well how cruel lottery luck can be. The Mavericks have quite literally never moved up in the lottery. And there have been times when, you know, like they were awful. Uh, I think they had like the second best odds moved down to four in the Shaq draft, for example. Even in the Luka draft, they tanked. Cuban paid six hundred grand for Blurton on Dr. J's podcast that they were tanking. Uh, and they end up with the third best lottery odds they got bumped down to fifth and had to give up next year's the next year's first round pick to to move back up to get him the lottery has been a cruel cruel b to the uh to the mavericks and and hey maybe that means they're finally do some good luck uh, i'm not quite sure the way that they went about getting the 10th best odds is a uh, one to generate good karma um but moving down again would just be absolute disaster why do you think the league is investigating them and do you think it's fair 
So I think that the league is investigating them for primarily because they were so brazen about it, because it was so embarrassing for the league. Or their pride and joys is playing. Hey, you know, the, the, the terrible teams might tank, but the teams are, you know, we're going to have more teams that have a chance. It's going to prevent tanking. And then the Mavericks base said, play in. We don't want to play in. We want a freaking lottery pick. What are you talking about? Get us the hell out of this spot. Um, honestly, because Jason Kidd didn't use the word tank, but said a whole lot of words that can be boiled down to those four letters. Um, basically then, said, basically said my boss has told me to do it. This yeah, thing that we're this thing that we're doing. He called it an organizational decision, uh, you know, essentially to uh, prioritize their, the, the long-term interest in, in roster building over the slim chance to making the, uh, the play. And like, he, he was honest. Um, so I think they're being investigated because it's the first rule of the tank club. You don't say you're tanking, right? And, uh, and he, he said this was a Nico Harrison decision and a Mark Cuban decision. And was, was there a, an NBA team governor, as we call them now, that has been fined over the last five years for publicly admitting tanking? Oh, there is one. It's Mark Cuban. So there's history there as well. But listen, I'll say this. If you're going to say, well, because they tanked when they still had playing chances, that's the difference. I've got a lot. I, I have a good relationship with a lot of people in the Utah Jazz organization. I'm here to tell you, you can look at the the Jazz's injury reports and and do your own math. And that's why th this investigation thing, like, really, what are you investigating? You know what happened. What are you going to do about it? Something or nothing, like whatever you the NBA decides is on them. But let's not act like you need to go hire freaking, uh, you know, the the Watergate reporters to get to the bottom of this thing. So there is a difference both in timing and in optics of a team with a chance with one day to go or two days to go punting on that chance. But there's only a difference in timing and optics because the Jazz and the Blazers, who damn now, oh. damn near signed you and me to play the last yes. couple of games for them, there's only a difference because those two teams pulled the plug earlier for whatever reasons. Damian Lillard, this, the Anthony Simons injury, not one. They, they were smart enough to just... Well, everyone's looking over there. They'll pull the plug. And so by the time you get to this high-profile moment, the decision's already been made. You already forgot about it. I don't know. There, There is a difference between hanging around, hanging around, hanging around, and then pulling the plug at the last minute. There is a difference because they had more of a chance at the end, but only because they didn't pull the plug earlier. So I don't know that there's enough of material difference. And I think you nailed it. Also, is it worse to compete until the 81st game or just to pull the plug about like whatever the 60th game? Like, I'm sorry, what Portland Tank Blazers have done the last two years? Honestly, if I'm in the league office, I'm saying, hey, do we need to somehow come up with rules requiring a G League player to be a, you know, to have certain statistical requirements uh, to be signed to a 10 day? Because this it's a it's a two-year-old trend. Portland has been one of the primary teams to do this, but they're intentionally signing G League players who aren't very good and playing them heavy minutes. The NBA did not claim nor think that they had eradicated tanking with the play-in tournament and even just isolating the revised lottery odds that came before the play-in tournament. They didn't claim that, and I wrote a piece analyzing the revised lottery odds when they happened, and I said this is designed to, to 
eradicate the ugliest, just we're going to win 15 games this season tanking. And I think it's been fairly successful at that. But I said in that piece, there are going to be teams who bail out with 20 games to go because now there's a big profitable mm-hmm. difference between ninth and fifth. And Portland tanked their damn way all the way to fifth yeah. in the lottery order. And that's exactly what happened. And there is a difference between doing that with 20 games left and one game left. I just think it's a difference purely of timing and strategy. The effect is is it looks worse, but I'm not sure it's worse enough to merit an investigation. And to your point, the reason they're being investigated is because they talked about it. That's if had they just not said anything, I think the NBA would probably have privately called them and said, look, man, this sucks. You're spitting in the face of the play in. And they would say, look what the Blazers and the Jazz did. That would be the end of it. But they talked about it. It looks worse, but what's worse for the integrity of the league? A team that is tanking for months or a team that's tanking for days? Neither is great, and the NBA has a massive tanking problem. Uh, I would challenge Adam Silver and other people in the league office to figure out a way to deal with it. Uh, Our colleague Tim Bontemps actually has a very interesting scenario. I I suggest uh, you have him on at some point and and run through it. He never comes on. He always tell he's too busy. He never comes on. He's too busy with the hoop collective. I ask him, I recorded this, I'm recording that, I can't do it. I said, all right. Well, everybody's not as nice as I am. I tell you that. I like the wheel that Mike. I don't want to do the whole draft thing. My thing with the draft is that's a nice. At some point, let's have a summer conversation about that during slower times. My my thing with the draft and changing the draft and equalizing the draft and eliminating the lottery and just let the best team pick for whatever it is, is you have to – those are all – abolishing the draft, having it be free agency. Those are all interesting ideas that are worthy of interrogation. You just have to ask yourself this question. Are you comfortable with the best team getting Victor Wembanyama? Are you comfortable with the team with the, with the Warriors getting Scoot Henderson? Or if you are, then – by all means, advocate for the most dramatic changes possible. But a lot of those changes are going to crack open the door to the juggernaut just got the best guy. And if you're okay with that, that's fine. If that makes you a little worried because of talent imbalance and all that, that's a different thing. Um, the other thing with the other thing with the Mavs is this: there was a lot of Twitter clowning. And again, I was active on NBA Twitter yesterday. So I really am. Ooh. A lot of people clowning the Wizards. And here's hashtag Soul Wizards, another 35-win season or whatever it is. And Tommy Shepard did his media today, and I saw a quote about how he was disgusted and disappointed to be 35 and whatever he was. And everyone's response was, what kind of team did you think you built, man? It's the same goddamn yeah. team every year. You just, you're just you a play-in or bust every year. And I don't know that you can mock the Wizards for being this mediocrity that seems satisfied with its own mediocrity and urge them to pick a direction by which you're really saying get worse because the, the Wizards don't have the capability and assets yeah. right now to get better. And then tisk tisk the Mavs for protecting their own future. Now, I understand well, the, circ- it, it, you the can, circumstances you can, are different. Timing's different. Their paths here are different. The Mavs had an actual like base of accomplishments last year in the conference finals that the Wizards can't. So I get it's all different. I'm just saying, if you're mocking the Wizards and tisting the Mavericks, there's a there's a middle ground where you can do both of those things, but it's it's pretty it's pretty narrow. So again, I think that what the Mavericks did was embarrassing, and like you can criticize it, but you have to understand the logic. The, the where you really blast the Mavericks is, dude, you've got a 
MVP caliber superstar who turned 24 years old during this season and you were that bad after you traded for another all-star mid-season? After you made a massive risk of a win-now deal, you were that bad? So where tanking at the end of the season made sense? That's the problem. I can't wait till we can talk about a different team than the Mavericks. Which hey, is, I'm, which head, is soon. I'm heading to uh, I'm heading to Memphis this weekend. We can talk about the Grizzlies because I don't want to talk about the Rockets either. God bless Stephen no. Silas. Didn't hey. work out. That's over. Didn't New have coach, a chance, man. G- great guy. We have no idea how good of a coach he is because he never had a chance. What did Tillman Fertitta say at Mardi Gras? We're praying for Victor. I. It was more like this. Pray for Victor. Well, a, a cup in hand. I don't know the lottery gods. The lottery gods are fickle. They, they. I don't know if they respect that sort of blatant pandering. We'll see. We'll see how they treat the Mavericks. Eh, the lottery gods might like Mardi Gras. They might like to party. I still think the basketball gods, the lottery gods, all the gods. I, I just think Wembenyama is going to San Antonio. I just, I've said that for. I just, I've, I sound, I, I sound like a moron. I have obviously, I'm in the drawing room every year. It's not. There's no. I see what it is. I, my gut says the Spurs are getting Wembenyama. If Victor comes to Texas, I'm going to have to have a chit-chat with bosses as far as exactly what my life looks like. I'll tell you that, Zach. But I don't – you know, it's funny. I don't know if in the drawing room – I don't know what happens if you have a bathroom emergency, if you're allowed to leave the drawing room. But, man, if the Mavs come up 11, 12, 13, 14, who's ever in there for the Mavs, he, that person might want to vomit somewhere. I'm going to have my eyes on that person. A, a, a bathroom emergency? I would – think you'd probably want to handle your business before heading into the room. You do, um, but I'm saying just emergencies happen. You got to give up your phone. You got to give up every you get. You can't leave. It's like F- Fort Knox in there. I don't know what happens. Maybe. All right. I don't know. Tim McMahon. I don't want to analyze that too much. We'll talk about some basketball soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you, brother. Adios, amigos. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.